Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. I hope you know him. Um, the message today will be given to us by a Mr. Jan Ko- Ko- Koval- Kovalchik. There we go. And he didn't give me a title. I don't know why, but yeah, I think he'll give it to you when he comes up here. So Mr. Jan Kovalchik. morning everyone so brethren how do you enjoy the seven-day Feast of Tabernacles service today you know I was so excited to speak I'm so blessed to speak on this day on the youth day and I just couldn't wait day one day two Day three, I forgot that I'm even speaking here at this feast, right? Day four, day five, and I'm so excited. I'm here. I'm here to address the young people. And then Landon comes up, and, and I'm thinking, what's going on now? He did such a great job. I was so much impressed. And it's not just with him. You know, let's. Let me just introduce my message first, then I will finish my talk. I'm going to be speaking today about courage. The title of my message is, I am just doing my job. Okay? So, young people, I want you to think for a moment. I will give you a minute or two. Who is the most courageous person in the Bible they can think of? Give me a reason why. I'll just give you a minute or so, right? So you can have your little one-minute time. Now, to you, brethren... I don't know if you'll agree with me, but watching these young guys during the feast week now, you know, they put us to shame as an adult. I don't know if you'll agree with me. Let me finish it. You know, they, all, they go way beyond the doctrine, doctrinal differences. They don't split the hair. They get together. They work together. The performance that they did even today no one asked them. No one forced them. They just did by their own will. Some of you who are present here in the praise and worship, right? That was the one of the best praise and worship ever had during the feast. Live music, hard work, day after day after day, just to put it together for all of us to enjoy it. What a great example to all of us. They, they putting us to shame. And we were supposed to be an example for them. I think they're an example for us as to how to go about our daily business. And brethren, the message is directly, directly kind of pointed to our young people. So as I always said, please forgive me, but in most of the time I'll just ignore you today. I'm not saying that there's nothing for you today, but I will just totally ignore you. Please forgive me. 
So do you have time to think about about the person that you think was the very courageous person in the Bible? If you don't mind to share, I'm not going to ask you, all of you, just the volunteers. I have a mic here. I have a f- first volunteer. Um, I think Jesus Christ was the bravest, the most courageous person in the Bible because he endured pain and suffering and death for us. Very good. Anyone else? Doesn't have to be Jesus Christ. Anyone comes to your mind? Lori. Um, Queen Esther, because she put her life on the line um, just to save her people. Very good. Ruth. Moses' mother, because she put her baby in a basket, but she had faith that her baby would be safe. Excellent. I think Isaac, because he was willing to um, die because God asked Abraham to do it. Now, just give me a second here. Now, when it comes to the church family, you've been around so many people, not just in your congregation, but everywhere. You don't, tell, you don't have to tell me who or the name. Just think about it. Do you know any person at this time in any way, your church, your congregations, here during the feast, that you would say is a very courageous person. Do you know anybody? I don't, I don't want to ask you for a name. Just if you know anybody, just raise your hand. No names. Do you know anybody? One, two, three. Very good. So the Bible is keep going, right? The story of God's people continues. Now, Have you sometimes watched the news, some big events happen, right? You see like a fire or a shooting or, you know, soldiers dying on a mission. Have you ever noticed that sometimes the reporters interview the person, like a firefighter or police officer, right? And they ask them about, you know, the bravery and the courage to do something to save a person. It always amazes me that they say, I am doing my job or I was just doing my job. That's it. I was just doing my job. What about us as a Christian? Would it be nice to, you know, when people come to say, hey, good job, you did this, excellent, you know, you're witnessing, you're doing all this stuff. Most of us should just come and say, I was just doing my job. You agree? All right. So let's talk about this word courageous or courage. Can anyone... Think of a simple definition, what courage can mean. How would you define this word? Just think for a moment. How would you define, the best as you can, what the courage is? What comes to your mind? Don't be afraid to share. Andrew, hold on. Uh, having the strength to um, perform under pressure. I would agree. Anyone else? I think Carlos was next. Being fearless. Being fearless. Very good. Bruce. A seven-letter word for bravery. Uh, maybe doing something outside your comfort zone. Outside your comfort zone. 
Very good, very good. So I checked many dictionaries and I tried to come up with, you know, some simple, simplest definition. Would you agree with this one? The ability to do something that you know is difficult or dangerous. Would you agree? Everyone shaking his head. Very good. Very good. Hold on. I'll put my mic away. So, this definition, let me, let me say it again. The ability to do something that you know is difficult or dangerous. Now, many people will use this definition in many different ways. Okay? Some people, there are people who call themselves non-Christians, so they will use this word courage to describe someone who takes a stand against the Bible, takes a stand against biblical teaching, and takes a stand against God. And some people look and say, like, wow, this man or this lady is very courageous, fearless. Right? Now others, like Christians, will look at this definition and they will say, and they will say that this is actually the opposite. We stand for God and we fight for God and for his way of life. And in first group, unfortunately, it's the majority right now. You know, they're on the TVs, on the radios, everywhere. Defy God in any way and shape they can. The other group is just growing smaller and smaller and smaller. And as I would, you know, as you would take a look at our congregations, you know, here, all the people that gather here, you know, in Collingwood, you'll go and probably travel to other different congregations. You will notice that, you know, most of us are not getting younger. We're getting older. It's very difficult to get new people to come into the church. You are the next generation. You need to be courageous more than most of us here in this room. We heard about the compromise. And you guys, is everywhere. No matter where you go, whether it be school, whether it be, you know, sport activity, whatever, wherever you go, even in churches. It's compromise. So you have to. You will need to be strong. I don't know if you heard the name Mary Wagner here in Canada. Mary Wagner. I don't know if you heard the name. She's a young lady. She's a Catholic. But she takes a strong stand against abortion. She was in prison 19 times. Because the only thing she does, she stands in front of the abortion clinic and she was, she's watching the lady walking in. The only thing she asks is, you know, may I ask you something? Why would you rather kill the baby than, you know, give it for adoptions for many families who actually would love to have a baby? And just for that reason alone, she was in jail over 19 times. And she doesn't care about it. She said the jail doesn't scare her. She said someone needs to stand for this evil. Right here in Canada. Now, I want to I wanna do a little presentation. And I have my volunteers. You know, just to show you sometimes, you know, not just you young people, but sometimes some adults. We don't fully understand what courage means, especially for Christians. I have my two volunteers. I asked Sister Sheila, can you come forward here for a second? And Peter. Peter, where is Peter? He's right there. Thank you so much for volunteering. I appreciate your help. Just stay right here. 
Peter, just to say thank you so much. Now, let me give you one scenario, okay? I want you to look at these people. I'll go to the other side. Just for a moment, imagine. That's Peter. He's a football player. So let's just imagine he's six, seven. He's 300 pounds, strong man. And there is Sister Sheila. You go walk on Collingwood at night, and let's say you run through the dark corner. And let's say, imagine, okay? How is your imagination, okay, so far? We seeing it? Can we imagine it? It's dark. And let's say you run into Peter. Okay? Now, the same scenarios, but this time, you run into Sister Sheila. Who would scare you the most? Come on. Who would scare you the most? Who thinks Peter would scare you the most? Raise your hand. Now, let me give you an additional information here, okay? Additional information. Let's imagine he's a very good football player, but the only thing that he does in his life is just football, just sport all the time. Sister Sheila is a very godly woman. She prays every day. She reads Bible every day, okay? She's fearless. She doesn't fear anything except God. Now, who is our greatest adversary in the Bible? Satan. So now imagine for a moment, okay? It's dark. Satan runs through the Peter, okay? Now imagine the second scenario. Satan runs through Sister Sheila. Who will scare him the most? The football player or Sister Sheila? You agree? Sister Sheila, right? Now just imagine for a moment that God in a split second... Open their eyes, open their eyes, and for a split second, they can see all the demons around them, right? For a second, they can see it, all the demons around them. Who will be the scared the most to run away? The football player or Sister Sheila? I, I can guarantee you that Sister Sheila, she wouldn't be scared because she relies on God, right? The football player. 300 pounds would probably just get running and screaming, help! Thank you so much. Please give them a big round of applause. Thank you so much. Can you understand what I'm talking here? When you talk about courage, the biblical courage, it has nothing to do with your physical strength, how strong you are, how big muscles you have, you know? How many hours you spend exercising? It's nothing to do with it. Godly courage has a lot to do with your spiritual strength. Right? Let me give you some example from the Bible. And then we'll ask questions. How we get this courage? How we get it? And how we keep it? Let's look at some biblical examples. Go to Second Kings. Second Kings chapter six. You remember the prophet Elijah? Not Elijah, Elisha. You are familiar, right? Right? You are familiar with it. Okay. Now, before we go to the text, to win a war, 
any country to win a war, what do we need to win a war? What do you think? What do we need? What are the most important factors? Soldiers, military, strong military. What else? Advisors. Very good. What else? What about intelligence? Right? You don't go into a battlefield. You don't just put your soldiers in other countries, not, not, not researching what's happening. Right? Intelligence is a crucial. To win a war, you need to have a good intelligence. Look in this here, in this chapter. Second King chapter 6. Look at verse 8. Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel, and he consulted with his servants, saying, my camp, will be, my, my camp will be in such and such place. So he's making an arrangement here. I'm going to attack Israel, and he's trying to gather all his advisors, right? Verse 9. And the men of God sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. What an intelligence, right? Perfect setup. What an intelligence. So this thing starts to bother the king of Syria. In verse, let's keep reading verse 10. That the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. And thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. It happened all the time. So on this time, the king of Syria starts to, you know, worry about it. Something is not right here. Verse 11. Therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. And he called his servant and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? Basically, I have a traitor here. Somebody is spying for Israel. Who is it? I need to find out. We can't go and fight a war when our intelligence is broken. And verse 12, And one of his servants, smart servants, said, Not my lord, O king, but Elisha. Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. Think about it. Be careful what you say in your bedroom. God knows everything. Don't say that you like me and you go to your bedroom and say, Oh, I hate this guy, Jerry. And now, and he said in verse 13. So he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and get him. And he will stall him, saying, Surely he is in Dothan. So in verse 14, Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great, a great army. And they came by night and surrounded the city. To win a war of Israel, I have to get rid of this guy. I have to get rid of this guy. He got it. The king got it, right? And when the servants of the man of God arose early and went down, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, to Elisha, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So Elijah, in verse 16, so he answered, Do not fear. Elisha said, Do not fear. Look at this. For those who are with us are mourned more than those who are with them. Oh, really? Look, there is a whole army with chariots surrounding us. And he's just staying calm. Look what happened verse 17. Elijah could say, I'm going to pray to God. I'm such a great prophet. I'm going to pray to God that God's going to send a fire and destroy all the Syrian army. Look what he does in verse 17. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray. Open his eyes that he may see. Open his eyes that he may see to his servants. 
Look what happened next. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the, of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire around Elijah. We don't fully understand the spiritual implications of our lives. We might not see it because our eyes are closed. Remember that I give you the presentations here? If God would just open your eyes for a moment, if you would just see what's happening in the spiritual realm, we'll have a better picture of what's happening, what's going on. Elijah was not afraid. Great armies surrounding him. And he only, the only thing he worries about, no, I want you to open the eyes of my people here so they can see. Not, hey, destroy the army. Kill the army. Set fire for heaven. And let's just get, get rid of the Syrian once and for all. No. Open the eyes of my guys so we can see. So when the Syrians came down to him, look again. Men of God, Elijah, he prayed to the Lord and said, Strike these people, I pray, with blindness. And he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elijah. And now Elijah said to them, This is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the men whom you see. But he led them to Samaria. Think about it. The whole army of Assyrians is walking straight to the hands of, of Israel's army. Blind. Spiritually blind. They don't even know what they do. Okay? Verse 20. So it was when they had come to Samaria that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of the men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes and they saw. And there, and there they were inside Samaria. Verse 20 now, 21. And when the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? What a great opportunity. Finally, we got them. We can kill them. Shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? Yes. Verse 22, but he answered, You shall not kill them. You shall not kill them. Look at the next, look at the next sentence. Would you kill those whom you have taken captive with your sword and your bow? You king of Israel, you take them the captive? You didn't do anything. Elijah is saying, but you're taking them captive. Why are you sword? didn't have to do anything. He just marched them through into their hands, right? And he said, no, you should not kill them. He said, set food and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. One of my favorite stories, worst story in the Old Testament. That they might go to their master. And then he prayed. That, and then he prepared a great feast for them. And after they ate and drank, he sent them away, and they went to their master. So the bands of Assyrians riders came no more into the land of Israel. Elisha, was he afraid? Or even a second, split second, that they may kill him? Why he was not afraid? He had God behind him, watching his back. He was on a team. Wearing the same jerseys that somebody was watching him everywhere. From the front, from behind, and from all sides. Sometimes we could not see it because we deal with this physical world. But if you are in God's hands, the best protection you will ever get. That's what it is. Now, let me give you another story. You like the stories, right? All right. Book of Acts. Let's go to the New Testament. Book of Acts chapter 3.
book of Acts chapter 3. Let's start in verse 2. Book of Acts chapter 3 and verse 2. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from, from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing, fixing his eyes on him, with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Verse 6, then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Great faith, nothing big happened yet. But if you skip over to verse 11, now look what happened as a result of that. The one sentence that they pronounced in the Jesus name of Nazareth. In verse 11, now the lame man who was healed, held on to Peter and John, and all the people ran together to them in porch, which is called Solomon's, which is called Solomon's, greatly, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel. Can you picture this? Can you picture yourself in these scenarios? There are hundreds of people there by the temple. Hundreds of people. There are temple guards. There's two men uneducated man, not big 300-pound football player, just a regular man, fisherman, stand in the front of people pronouncing name that was forbidden around the temple. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And look what happened. And they give them a beautiful here, a wonderful sermon here, right? And it says that here, in, uh, in verse, just skip to uh, chapter 4. And look what happened as the results of it. Now, as they spoke to the people, see, as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captains of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They didn't like it. But they didn't care. Verse 3. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Verse 4. However, many of them who heard the word believed. Many of them who heard the word believed. God was protecting them. Even though they went to jail, God was still protecting them. And look at the results of it. And the number of the men came to be about what? How many? Five thousand. Five thousand. Two little men. No education, no master degree, came and preached simple words. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. 5,000 people. 5,000 people. No political correctness. You can't use Jesus' name in your school. You can't use Jesus' name here. You can't use Jesus' name almost anywhere. They stood up with Jesus' name, even though they went to jail. That's courage, right? That's courage. Quite a lot of courage. Would you like to have another story? We'll go back to chapter 21.
book of Acts chapter 21. And we'll start from verse 27. Now we, Apostle Paul, he was warned a number of times not to go to Jerusalem. Prophets were sent from God warning him, they'll beat you up, they'll arrest you. Paul went to Jerusalem. Now look what happened in Jerusalem. Verse 27. So when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stir up the whole crowd and laid hands on him. He didn't have to go there. He didn't have to be there. He decided to go. Crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. And furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. This is totally untrue. This is a lie based on the line, on lie. He didn't, he'd never, ever, he did it. But basically, if you are a group of crowd, one starts shouting something, most people just follow. Don't be in front of the big crowd. Don't be in front of big crowds. Analyze what's happening. Stay back, watch, and observe. Okay? Keep going with the stories here. And verse 30. And all the city was disturbed. And the people ran together. They seized Paul. They dragged him out of the temple. And immediately the doors were shut. Up. They were shut. And now as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in uproar. One man. All Jerusalem. He immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commanders came near and took him and commanded him, and, and commanded him to be bound with two chains. And he asked who he was and what, what, what he had done. And some among the multitude cried out, think, cry out, think, and some another. So when he could not ascertain the truth because of the tumult, he commanded him to be taken into the barracks. Verse 35. When he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. Can you imagine? They were ready. They were vicious. They just wanted to kill him, eliminate him. They had to lift him up. Roman soldiers had to keep, lift him up and carry him away from the crowd. He was just that much to be killed. That much to be killed, right? And verse 37. Then Paul was about to be led into the barracks. He said to the commander, may I speak to you? You know what? If that was me, I would just say, yeah, carry me. Run as far as you can. Carry me. He says, hey, can I speak to you? Hey, hold on a second, okay? I'm bleeding. I'm hurting. Can I just say a thing here? He replied, can you speak Greek? Are you not the Egyptians? Who, who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led the 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness. But Paul says, no, I'm a Jew from Tarsus, a Cilicia, a citizen of, of no mean city. And I implore you, I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. Think about it. They're ready to kill you. They don't listen. They, they, they don't care about your story. Hey, permit me. I need to speak to these people. How many of us adults are so courageous We say, hey, I need to speak to these people before you, know, before you kill me. I need to speak. I need to address you. And in verse 40, so when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people. 
And there was a great silence. He spoke that in the Hebrew language, and he gave them a brief history to what happened to him and his encounter with Jesus Christ. And, you know, look here at verse 23 as the results of it. They didn't kill him that day. But look here in verse 23 and look at verse 11. Chapter 23 and look at verse 11. But the following night, the Lord stood by him. He's in jail. But the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul. It's not your time to die. Be of good cheer, Paul. For as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you also, so you must also bear witness at Rome. Be of good cheer. They beat you up. They hurt you. And Jesus Christ saying, be of good cheer. My job for you is not over yet. As long as you stay occupied, as long as you're going to do, as long as you are about my business, you're not ready to go yet. You're not ready to go yet. And I have to give you this story. This is one of my favorite in the New Testament. It's one of my favorite in the book of Acts. That will be the last one, okay? I promise, the last one. Book of Acts chapter 14. Just go back here for a second. And I, I love this one. Book of Acts chapter 14. And look at verse 8. And in Lystra, book of Acts 14, chapter 8. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking, Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Great miracle. Not in Jerusalem this time. This was in a Gentile country. When the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices saying, in their own language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Verse 12. And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Wow. How many Christian preachers would just say, I'm fine with that. I'm a God. Priest, hey, you know, I'll give you my bank account. Give me all the offerings. Send it here. I don't have to compromise. I don't have to do anything. The people just love me, right? Is that what Paul did here? Look at here. Look at verse 13. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, look, brought oxen. To the gate, intending to sacrifice with the multitude. I don't have to worry about any food for at least the rest of the week and next week and who knows, maybe for a month. How many Christian preachers today would say, we don't need need your gifts anymore, okay? We don't need your gifts anymore. Just keep it. You can keep it. You know, yes, we don't sacrifice today. We don't sacrifice oxen, right? But look at some of the preachers today. Look at the churches that they have. Look at the cars they're driving. Look at the jets they're flying. Look at the hotels that are staying. Because people give them all these elaborate gifts. And they don't say it. No, oh please, no, no, no. 
we need to use it for a better cause. No. They're very comfortable. Very comfortable with that. But when the apostle, verse 14, Barnabas and Paul hear this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitudes, crying and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you. And preach to you that you should turn from this from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and all things that are in them. Did you get it what Paul said here? Look at this verse 15 one more time. Look at this verse one more time at the bottom of it. And preach to you that you should turn from this what? Useless things? Imagine today a man standing and saying, you know what? Muslim religion is a useless thing? No, we should compromise. You know, we should send the teachers, preachers, to, you know, to interfaith courses so they'll be more open, more understanding to all the other religious activity that's happening around us, right? That's what Paul did here. Useless things. Don't be afraid, guys. If something is useless, just call it useless. Someone needs to stand up. If you're not going to do it, then look at us. We are too old to do that. I'm not kidding. We like our prosperity. We like whatever we have. We don't like to suffer. We just, we love this world. We love this life. You need guys to stand up for it. Stand up and say what is useless. It's useless. Don't be afraid to call it useless. Why? Landon said, Jesus Christ will be in front of you, at the back of you, at the one side and at the other side. They might beat you, yes. They might hurt you, yes. If you do God's job, they'll never kill you. Until Jesus Christ says, do it now. That's what the Bible says, right? That's what the Bible says. Don't be afraid. Now, I just gave you a few stories here. Just so you see faith and courage from different directions, from different individuals. Now, just go here. Actually, let me finish the story here in verse 19. Just look what, look what happened here to Paul. Verse, the same chapter, verse 19. The Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there and have, it, and have persuaded the multitude. Look what happened. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Verse 20, however, when the disciple gathers around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. He was just stoned to death. He get up, look, verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to the city and made many disciples, just like that. You know, most of us would just run away. If they beat me up, let's say, in Collingwood, I'll go to Hamilton. I'll be afraid to go back to Collingwood, right? They might beat me up. Not Paul. He came back. And he preached. Courage. See, as I said at the beginning, courage doesn't come from having confidence in your own strength, in your flesh, in your muscles and stuff. doesn't matter how smart, how intelligent you are. All these factors will not determine how courageous you become. How do you get this courage? Go to Psalms 147 for a moment here. Psalms 147. Verse 
Psalms 147. Look at verse 10. Psalm 147 and look at verse 10. He does not delight in the strength of the horse. God does not delight in the strength of the army. He takes no pleasure in the legs of a man. God doesn't care how strong are your muscles. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his mercy. How is your courage? How is my courage? Go to Luke chapter 12. Where do we get this courage from? Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Look at verse 4. Luke chapter 12 and verse 4. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. The only thing, the worst thing anybody can do to all of us is just kill us. That's as far as they can go. And that's it. But, verse 5, but I will show you whom you shall fear. Fear him who after he has killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. People can do all horrible things to human beings. There is only one God who can give you eternal life. Only one God who can give you eternal life. Now, how we get this powerful courage? You just go home and just snap your finger. It just comes like, boom, oh, I'm courageous. I look into the mirror, you know, fix my hair, fix my broken glasses. And I'm going to step up now and, hey, I decided to be courageous. Why are you laughing? I have broken glasses. How do you get this courage? I'll just give you three simple points. How do you get this courage? You know, courage, courage comes from, from knowing your destiny. You have to understand what, what is your destiny. You know, I can give you the scriptures. You can go there. You don't have to. But actually, let's go there. Revelation chapter 21. You need to know what you, you know, why you live here. Why are you here? Why are you here at the Feast of Tabernacle? Why you were born? Revelation 21. And uh, one of the famous scripture. So we know the end story. Keep reading here. Revelation chapter 20, uh, 21. Now I saw new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, said, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, a daughter for her husband. Verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will will be with them and be their God. 
and just skips to verse 6. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give up the fountains of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. And verse 7. He who overcomes, this is the part. That's where you need to be courageous. He who overcomes shall inherit how many things? What does the Bible say? Shall inherit how many things? Some things, good things. Shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. If you guys dedicate your life, you know your destiny where you're going. If you know destiny where you're going, they're not going to be fearful what's going to happen right now, right here. Because you know where you're going. It's going to help to strengthen your courage, right? See, your school is important. Your job will be important. Your careers will be important. Your marriages will be important. But nothing should stand between you and your God. If you figure that out, somehow, if you figure it out, it's, I'm here for a purpose and that's where I'm going, trust me, you're already courageous. You're already courageous. You will build your spiritual muscles even stronger, whatever you have right now. Point number two. Godly courage is, courage is a product of your relationship with your Savior. You know your final destiny. Now you build your relationship with your God. And in Jesus Christ. And you know, as you build these relations every single day, every week, as you get connected to your Savior, you get to know Him a little bit better, you start to love Him and respect Him for who He is. You know, you trust Him. You love Him. Just think for a moment. Like, you know, God gave us a perfect training ground here, which will be my third point, but I'm, you know, I just want to go a little bit ahead here. You know, Moms, in this room, moms, okay? How many of your moms, remember when you give a birth to a little baby? How many moms, if let's say someone would threaten your baby, so many moms would just jump without even thinking and dying for your baby? Raise your hand. See, look at it. Every single mom would do that. How that came about? Because they love them. There is a relationship going on. And even at this age, guys, when, you, you know, when you're old, you know what? If something happened and someone you know, tried to do something to my, child, my children, I would not even hesitate a second. Any one of you, if you jump to the lake, you're, you're drowning, I would hesitate a moment trying to save you. Right? That's how God is teaching us. Look at Psalms 118. Having a relationship that is growing all the time. That people can notice how you know you guys, how you're progressing, how you're growing, how you love. is exceeding toward your creator. You can't just stay in the same place all the time and thinking everything is good, everything is great. And God will, for some reason, take care of you. Psalms 118. And look at verse 6. Psalm 118 and verse 6. The Lord is on my side. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can men do to me? That's exactly what Jesus Christ asked in in Luke chapter 12. Remember? What can men do to me? Skip down to verse 8. It is better. It is better to trust in the Lord 
than to put confidence in men. Men, your friends, will fail you. Just be ready for that. They will fail you. They will fail you many times. God will never fail you. And keep reading. And, you know, and we get so excited into, you know, into this debate. It is better to trust, verse 9, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. You know how many Christians put their confidence in their political leaders all the time? They get into the sharp debates. I'm on the left side. I'm on the right side. I'm in the middle of the ground. You know, this guy is good. No, this guy is good. This lady is good. That lady is good. They will fail you. Like every single one before that. They will fail you. People try to fix this world using the political system since, you know, human existence. And good. And just look around it how good we are. Okay? Look around it. We went from communism to capitalism, and nothing works. Nothing works. And for some reason, we try to, you know what, reform the system. We try to improve the system. You know what? We need to kick it out and get Jesus Christ. Then we're going to have a new system. That's how it's going to work. Don't put your trust in any of that. Any of that. Put your trust in God. Look at verse 7. We skip this verse for a reason. Look at verse 7. The Lord is for me. Among those who help me. If you go to life, you will see it. God will put people around you. You will think that you have no way to go. God will put people around you. They will always help you. Even if you keep reading the rest of this verse. Therefore, I shall see my desire on those who hate me. God will talk things around if you're doing God's will. That's what's going to happen in your life. Philippians chapter 1. And I'm going to read to you from uh, NIV version, New International Version. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 19 and 20. Philippians chapter 1. Verse 19 and 20. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me, what has happened to me, will turn on for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will no way be ashamed. I will no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Christ will be always exalted, whether by life or by death. Now, you probably know who uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was, right? You all know who he was. I don't, you probably know that his famous, uh, his famous quote that he said. He said, if a person hasn't found something he will die for, he isn't fit to live. And, you know, remember when Pastor Ramakan mentioned that people will put their life in danger. They'll go to jail. They will, you know, they will pay heavy penalty consequences trying to protect the little lizard. 
prison extensionist. Remember that story? Right? They will spend massive amount of energy and time trying to protect the little lizard because it's on an extension. As in, you know, it's only 5,000 species left. It's a noble thing to do. I'm not saying all that. You know, there are people who will chain themselves to a tree because they think this tree is 1,000 years old and we cannot cut it. They'll go on hunger strike for days trying to protect an animal or trying to protect a tree. How many of us would chain ourselves to trees for weeks and say, you know, if the government's not going to fix the law and offend my Savior, I'm not going anywhere from here. People are willing to dedicate their lives, athletes, soldiers, you, you name it, for something that's going to go away. We need to dedicate our lives for something that's going to last for eternity. Eternity. Let me give you the third thing, and I'll be done. You have to know your destiny. You have to have a relationship with your Savior. And as you go to all of these things, training. That's the third thing. God will train you. If you become a police officer, you become a firefighter, you, be, you become an ambulance driver, whatever it is, you go through extensive period, extensive training. Before you actually get on the job, you need, to, you need to know what you need to know. And people spend the time to train you. God is doing exactly the same thing. Exactly the same thing. God will train you in a little bit of a different way. I would like to go to the Hebrew, exactly the same scripture that, uh, that Pastor Jeff, Jeff gave us yesterday. Hebrew chapter 2. And you will see in what kind of training we have to go. Hebrew chapter 2. And look at verse 10 here. Hebrew chapter 2 and verse 10. For it was fitting for him, for whom all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect. The captain of their salvation perfect through what? Suffering. If you need to be a, if you need to be a compassionate person, you need to suffer first before you actually help some other person who is suffering. There's no shortcut to that. And, you know, God will train you along the way. Acts 14. Go back to Acts chapter 14. I know it's not a popular message in churches this day because no one, goes, no one wants to suffer. There's a human being which just don't want to suffer. If you don't suffer, you're not going to be trained. You're not going to be a compassionate priest. Acts chapter 14. And look at verse 21, chapter 14 and verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Verse 22. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, see what he's saying here? We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations, you must enter into the kingdom of God. 
Now in conclusion, I just have one more scripture in conclusion. How many of you like the, there is a hymn in a booklet here, in our hymnal book. It's on page number 56. How many of you know what it is? What is it? I know whom I believe it. You know where it comes from? Second Timothy chapter 1. Let me conclude with this message. Second Timothy chapter 1. And let's pick up here in verse 8. Second Timothy chapter 1 verse 8. Therefore, verse 8, do not, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Do not be ashamed, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Paul is pleading to the young Timothy, who was probably aged like, I don't know, young, very young man. Paul is speaking to me. Don't be, don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. Verse 9. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus before time began. Verse 10. But has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Verse 11. To which, as a, to, to which I was appointed a preacher and apostle, and a teacher of the Gentile, and verse 12. For this reason I also suffered these things. Nevertheless, nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Why? For I know whom I have believed. Remember the song now? Coming to mind? That's where it comes from. For I know whom I have believed, and I'm, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. What a wonderful piece of a scripture that's in your hand. And you see, most of you didn't even realize where it came from. So, as you know me, I don't like to finish my message without actually giving a nice, beautiful song. So I'm going to play a song for you. It's from the movie Courageous. Many of you know the movie Courageous, right? Many of you don't know the movie. So I'm going to play a song that's actually taken from this movie. I want you to look at the words. Pay attention to the words. And I'll be back just with my quick final comment here. We were made to be courageous. We were made to lead the way. We could be the generation that finally breaks the chains. We were made to be courageous. We were made to be courageous.
you enjoy the song? You are made to be courageous, right? And I know, guys, you are very courageous. Landon, can you hand for a second? Look at this young man. How old are you? 14. 14 years old. At this age, he's able already to deliver a sermonette way better than a bunch of us here. Wouldn't you agree so? Wouldn't you agree? Give him another round of applause. Sorry, I'm going to play every single role here, okay? Give him a great applause. You did a good job, man. It's just my job. See? We need more people like that. We need more people like that. Now at this time, before we actually finish, I'll ask all the young people here, come up here to the stage. We would love to pray for you. All of you. Just please line up here. I'll ask the young kids too. Come up, everyone. All the young children, come up here too. And I'll ask the elders just to come here to the front of the stage. Thank you. Everyone, all the young kids, go in here in the middle. Come on, all the young too, come up. Brother Rick, can you stay here on one side? Pastor Jeff, go on the other one, please. Thank you. Why don't you guys hold hands? The elders too can hold on. Let's bow our heads together. Father in heaven, we pause before your throne at the end of this feast. Just grateful for our young people. The future is in their hands. They've been presented with an opportunity this feast to work together, to serve you, to see beyond what doesn't unite us and to come together in a spirit of unity, working together in music, working together on their homework, working together on the activities. And Father, they've heard a message today that they need to be courageous. So on behalf of all of the parents here, all of the adults, we ask you to give them courage. We ask you to be with them this year, be with them over the course of their lifetime, and to help them understand what courage is, help them to know what their destiny is, that their destiny is the kingdom of God. That's why they were made. that they can have that destiny through a relationship with you and your son. And we ask you to help us come off the sidelines, to stop watching from the sidelines, and to train them in the way that they should go, to give their parents and the adults and the leadership of the church, give them courage to come off the sidelines and to see that this is our job. This is our job to present them to you so that they are the next generation of leaders. We see a world that is rife with 
violence and strife and continuing to change, that this faith is much harder to keep as a young person today than it was when the rest of us were young. And that by committing to this way of life, they need to be able to see your kingdom. They need that to be able to look out and know that your angels are out there to protect them. And help them to continue with this sense of unity that is inherent in a young person who doesn't see division. To help bring your church together. To help to understand that they are part of the greater body of Christ. And together we march towards your kingdom. So Father, as we close this feast here, we're getting ready for the eighth day, that special day tomorrow. We are just so thankful for them. And we ask you, holy God, to watch out for them. To put your angels around them. And to give them courage. Courage to survive. Courage to stand up for you. And courage to do what is right in a world that wants them to do wrong. So God, we place them into your hands. And we are so grateful for the examples that they show us and help us to lead them back to you. Father, we thank you so much for them. We ask this all in the name of your Son, our Savior, and their Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Please stay for a second. Please stay, kids. Stay, stay, stay. Brother, can you, can you get up and give them another get up? Round of applause. Can you stand, Phil? May God bless you all. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.